He's here. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling he came in, and when no one was looking, in the darkness he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared, right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait. God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I'm God's servant, she said. Whatever God says... I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now, Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. Every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old, tumbled-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born. His baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes 
and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us, because, of course, he had. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather on Christmas Eve to worship and to make much of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray now in this brief moment while we open your word, that you will help us to be attentive and to to focus upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2, and I promise you this is not going to be a long, long sermon. If you've been with us before, you're going to probably say, wow, won't you preach like this more often? Um, Because it's going to be short. But I need all the children in the room, fifth grade and under, just kind of raise your hand for me. All right? Wow, there's a lot of you here. Fantastic. All right, listen up. All the children, fifth grade and under, I got, everybody listen up to me, okay? Shh. I have a very important task for you tonight, okay? While I'm talking, and, I, and I'm talking about Jesus, I need you to count every single time that I say the name Jesus. Can you do that? Can, can you do it? Every time that I say the name Jesus, either just kind of make a little mark or keep a number in your head. And then after the service, after we're done, you can come and you can ask me if, if you got it right, okay? And we'll, we'll see. And parents, you can count along with us and, and we'll see if we can uh, get this right. Okay, that's your task. So in the brief time that we have, and I know that the attention span will only last so long, and that's okay. Children are always welcome with us. It's part of being a family. It's part of doing life together. It's part of uh, being together as Christmas. So I love this. But in the brief time we have together this evening, I want to draw your attention back to the previous sermons in our Advent series. And if you haven't been here with us in our Advent series, don't worry. You can either find those on our website, find them on iTunes, but it's not going to take away from anything uh, this evening. You're going to be able to pick right up with us. But what we've seen is we have looked first week with the genealogy of, genealogy of Jesus. And then two weeks ago, we looked and saw how Gabriel came and told Mary that she was going to have a child. And then last week, we saw how Mary had gone and visited Elizabeth and she sang at the, uh, the song of praise in the Magnificat. We saw all this. What we have seen is God's sovereignty in redemption history on clear display. From the found, before the foundation of the world, God chose for himself a people, a people whose history is marked by ups and downs and twists and turns. And we've seen this all throughout of what we've looked at. Starting if you go all the way back and you look at the covenant made with Abraham and then the uh, from there, the promise there's going to be a people, and then that people being captive in, in prison as slaves, basically, for 400 years inside of Egypt, finally being released from Egypt, and then having 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, only to come and to conquer and to occupy the promised land, thinking, yes, it's finally ours, only to head into that tumultuous time of the judges, where it was a tragic and tumultuous time as well as they sunk deeper and deeper into depravity. And then we see the, ri- the reign and the rise of King David and King Solomon where the people are crying out and thinking, yes, it's finally happening. We're going to be God's people in God's place under God's rule. It's going to be right again. And then what happens is the kingdom is divided. They're sent into exile. And then ultimately we see a remnant of those people return. And then now where we kind of pick up in this time of history is the Roman occupation. 
But through it all, what we've seen is God making promises and keeping promises. All the way back to Genesis 3.15 through, God has made promises and he has kept promises. A promise of a second Adam, Jesus, who would come. One who would come and do what the first Adam could not do and do what Noah could not do and do what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could not do and to do what David and Solomon could not do and do what none of us in this room could do. It was a promise of salvation in the midst of judgment, a promise of a serpent crusher, Jesus, who would come and deliver and redeem God's chosen people from sin and death. And what we've seen through this study and from our vantage point of really kind of knowing the big picture is even when it seemed like all hope was lost, even when it seemed like there was no way God's promises were going to be fulfilled, we see he was sovereignly working out every last detail to bring his promises to fruition. From an ark and a flood to a pagan Abraham and an infertile Sarah to a Moabite woman and an Israelite redeemer to an adulterous, giant-slaying, God-fearing, Davidic king. Through every chapter and verse, we have seen salvation coming forth in the midst of judgment. And all of this brings us to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each in his hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he, was, because he was the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And I don't know about you, but when I read those words... There was no place for them in the end. It just doesn't make you kind of pause and to think there was no place for Jesus in the end. None. What an amazing event with so many small and large examples of God's sovereignty on clear display. As the prophecy in Micah 5, which was read just a little bit ago, tells us, God ordained for the Messiah, for Jesus, to be born in the town of Bethlehem, the city of David. But with Mary and Joseph living in Nazareth, how is this going to take place? How is this prophecy going to be fulfilled? Well, God plants the idea of a worldwide census in the mind of Caesar Augustus, where the entire Roman world would go to their hometown to be registered in a census. And we know Joseph's hometown is Bethlehem because Boaz was redeemed by a Moabite woman named Ruth in the town of Bethlehem. And they went on to have a child of their own named Obed. And Obed then fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered who? David, King David, of who Joseph is of the lineage of. Which is a beautiful picture of every detail working to bring forth God's plan of redemption. Because even in in this case, if, if there's no census, Joseph and Mary never go to Bethlehem, do they? And if the census doesn't take place at the exact same time of which Mary is set to deliver, then Jesus is not born in Bethlehem. Where is he born? In Nazareth. And then the prophecy of Micah chapter 5 is not fulfilled. This is a picture. It's a reminder of how every event, every detail is being used by God and directed by God to carry out his divine will. Now, one might think, at least it made me wonder wonder as I was studying, if God would work out every detail such as this, 
even a worldwide census to bring about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, then could he not have made room and saw that there would be room for Jesus in the end? Could he not have? And the answer is yes, he could have done that. He could have made room for Jesus in the end. And as John Piper reminds us, he could have been also born into a wealthy family. He could have turned a stone into bread in the wilderness. He could have called 10,000 angels down to his side um, at, um, at Gethsemane. He could have come down from the cross and he could have saved himself. But the question is not what God could do, but what did he will to do? And God's will was that even though Jesus was rich, he became poor for our sake. And I know it's easy for us to find ourselves at times questioning God, like especially in times of trials and tragedies, wondering why he would allow this and why would he not do that? Like, why God? Why, oh, why could, you could have done this. But again, the question isn't what God could do because God can do anything that he wills to do, which means the question should always be what did he or what does he will to do? Not what could he have done in your particular life trial or your particular situation. But what does he will to do in your life? And in thinking upon this question as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, let us be reminded that the road to Calvary begins with a no vacancy sign in Bethlehem. The road to the cross begins with a no vacancy sign in Bethlehem. And it ends with a crucifixion in Jerusalem. It was the will of God that the son, his son Jesus would be born of a virgin, that he would take on flesh, that he would be raised by a carpenter, not royalty, that he would live a fully obedient and sinless life and would offer himself up as an atoning sacrifice at the divinely appointed time to redeem his church, his bride. Thus, the no vacancy sign in Bethlehem is a reminder that the call to follow Jesus isn't a call to have our best life now. It's a call to die. And in dying, we live. We live as a people who possess real hope, unspeakable joy. And as such, we have confidence that all things are working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Christmas is a reminder. It's a reminder that I've listed out three different things. It's a reminder, one, that God keeps his promises. You're going to break promises. I'm going to break promises. People are going to break promises to us all the time. But what we see here is God never breaks his promises. He fulfills them. Meaning, number two, God is in control. (laughs) He's in control. Even when you feel like your life is completely out of control and nothing seems to be going right, and maybe that's you this Christmas season, rest assured that this Christmas season, what what we're celebrating means is that God is in control. It's a reminder that God is in control of all things. Three, he loves us enough to send his son, Jesus to live the perfect life that you and I were intended to live. He loves us enough to, that this is what he did. He came and took on flesh and he lived a life that we were supposed to live. And after living this perfect sinless life, he died the death that we deserve to die. And for everyone who believes in him, he provides a hope and a future that we don't deserve to have through the resurrection. This is what we're remembering at Christmas. This is what we're celebrating this weekend. Not just a baby in a manger, but the Son of God taking on flesh. The Son of God coming and providing a means, the only way of salvation to reconcile sinful man with a holy God. 
So as you gather around the tables tonight, as you go and gather around your tree in the morning and you have family celebration, remember that the reason that you can have hope and the reason that you can have joy this holiday season, this Christmas, is because of what Christ did. The the life that he lived to make himself available to be that perfect sacrifice. I'm so glad that you have chosen to, to worship with us tonight. As our worship team comes, they're going to they're gonna close out this time of service with Silent Night. One of my favorite songs. I think every Christmas Eve service, this is like my tradition here. I think every Christmas Eve service should end with Silent Night. Now, while I would love to have candles lit throughout this entire room, it's bad for two reasons. One, we have children in the room. That does not go well. Two, it is... We do not want to burn this place down because it is not ours. We don't own it. We don't want the liability uh, that comes with it. But what I am going to ask you to do is just stand with us. If you are, if you're visiting with family while you're here, praise the Lord. Enjoy your time in Charlestown. We've only been here ourselves just a couple months. This is our first Christmas here. We're so excited. If you're new to the area yourself or you're just looking for a church home, we would love to be able to talk with you. If you'd like more information about Harvest Point, there are some little cards right on a box right out there. Just place some information on there at your convenience. Write that down. We'll get back to you sometime in the next week or so. We'd love to be able to talk with you. If you have any questions about something you've heard tonight or just in life in general, I I love to have coffee. And I would love to be able to sit down with you, have a cup of coffee, and and discuss uh, those questions. But I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to sing together. And when we're done singing, Derek's just going to say, you're dismissed. Merry Christmas. And we are having service here tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And so we will look forward to seeing you then. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these children. Just the the voices and even the cries, Lord, it's such joy knowing that we have a chance to raise them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. To not get distracted by a cry or or a scream, but to say, these are a gift from God. Thank you for these children. May we be faithful as parents to raise them up. Lord, as we sing, may we remember your son and to praise him and to worship him for who he is. In Jesus' name, amen.